Ladies and gentlemen, before we get to our episode this week, I wanted to give you a reminder or perhaps let you know for the first time about the Handlebars Happy Hour right here in Chico. If you don't know, they're a craft beer bar and restaurant right on the south end of town at 2070 East 20th Street, and they have a happy hour seven days a week from 2 to 6 p.m. where you get a dollar off every single one of their draft beers. So go check them out. Again, that's the Handlebar right here in Chico at 2070 East 20th Street. Here's the show. Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hey, welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema, a special bonus episode of the podcast where it's, of course, myself, Max Minardi, and Johnny Summers, but we are being joined by our friend and patron of the show, Chris Gomez. Chris, say hello. Hello, hello. Um, we're, we're going to be drinking beers today, uh, but the show will not be the usual format because we are talking about a film, one of Chris's favorites, um, that came out in the year 2000, uh, called Titan AE, and we're going to get into that. Um, but here we are, we're around the table, we're sipping a beer, and I feel like we should start off by, um, Johnny talking about what beer we're drinking, where you got it, that sort of thing, just to <coughs> lay it out. Yeah, let's do it. So this beer is called Monster Cookie Pinwheel. It's an imperial brown ale from Fieldwork Brewing out of a bunch of different places, but I picked this up at their Sacramento taproom. It is a brown ale brewed with cacao nibs, chocolate, vanilla, espresso beans, and sea salt. It's 11.8% mm. brown ale. That's uh, incredible. It's That's a big guy. So much. Uh, I've just tried it. It does not taste that strong to me. No. No. Um, and Johnny, you've had it before? Yeah, I brought back a four-pack, gave a one or two away, and then opened one at Burgers and Brew with a few homies. Okay. There's a beer that we were sipping on before this that Chris had had before, brought it for us to try. But I think in this situation, you love this beer and you wanted to share it. And I'm not sure that was true with the other one necessarily. <laughs> the, the other one was just... You don't need to, yeah. I wanted everybody to try it, you know. Yeah, cool. Um, okay, well, we're drinking it. Chris, do you want to give me like a quick elevator pitch on, on your thoughts and enjoyment of this beer? Uh, yeah, actually, so my opinion on it, which this one's going to be kind of weird, is do you guys remember the scratch and sniff yep. chocolate? Yep. That's like what this tastes <laughs> like to me, and I don't mean that in a bad way because I absolutely love scratch and sniff uh, chocolate, but that's what it reminds me of. You always wanted to taste it. Mm-hmm. And I think sure. the espresso adds a nice edge of bitterness, and then you got that vanilla to make it nice and creamy and a little sweet. I mean, it's, it's nice. I... Was expecting a bit more body out of something this high ABV, but also it's a brown ale, so you have to like manage those expectations. Yeah. I never expect it to be like chewy. It's not a stout. It's a yeah, brown ale. So I was expecting like a really good adjunct, smooth, light, not too thick on the palate brown ale, and it it nails it for me. There is. It's one of the few occasions where I like the beer more after the initial taste wears off, and it mm. kind of leaves you with that rich tootsie roll quality. But I do stand by what I said. There's a perfumey, like something going on in the beginning that it feels like, like floral, or or, yeah, like like a almost cheap flowery perfume. Hmm. I I think that's the espresso. I'm could Maybe. be completely wrong. I could see that. But I know there is some you know floral floral characteristics that mm -hmm. come out in coffee, right? Johnny? Yeah, sometimes depending <laughs> on where the beans yeah, right, come Johnny. from. <laughs> I'm like, right? I don't know what I'm talking about, but uh, hey, right, guys, right? <laughs> what? Wink, um, wink, nudge, nudge. You know, yeah, you know. I think so. Um. As far as brown ales go, you don't see it highlighted by kind of trendy or in vogue breweries pretty much at all ever. So I thought it was kind of a bold move for Fieldwork to to rip one of these out and sell it. I had to support it because brown ale 
was probably, yeah, they were the first craft beers that I really liked. Um, beers like Downtown Brown. I graduated from Newcastle once I there learned all the yeah. crap that's in that beer. Yeah, uh, you know, Downtown Brown, Moose Drool, just beers yeah, like that drool. that were just like, yeah. oh, beers are a different thing, and they can be a different style beverage, mm-hmm. and it really launched a lot of what I like now, and I still love brown ales. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think I can recall any brewery that's even remotely popular. Like putting out and featuring a brown ale, no, especially a, an adjunct brown ale. That's I was trying fe- to think maybe Fieldwork didn't they do a barrel age? This is Fieldwork, but I mean, oh, didn't they do a barrel age like brown? That sounds right. I can't I remember. They've else. they've done a lot of that over the years. Like they have their whatever their experimental series is called. I can't think of it right now. It's like something about a about a trail. Um, but yeah, they've done a few. The one that I thought of, and this is the only one that's coming to mind, is Shadow of a Doubt from Russian River. Mm. Which is um, we covered on the show a few years ago. Is that a brown ale? I don't think it That's is. A porter. Oh, it is a porter. You're yeah. right. Damn yeah. it. All right, I can't think of one. But they do make a brown ale. I don't know. Do they? I I would guess, right? I, like, don't... I can't think of one either. I don't think so. Did Sierra Nevada? I mean, they do have one now, but I don't. They know used they... to. It used to be a year-round product, and it was just called brown ale, and it was actually the very first beer that I ever legally purchased when I turned 21. Nice. That's awesome. 21st birthday, went to the graduate. And got a pitcher uh, of brown ale to drink for myself. Yeah. All things that I can no longer get. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, wow. Yeah. It's kind of nice in a sort of sad way. Uh, yeah. I'm so from Chico. That you could take, you could take like a bottle and just drink it in the empty lot where the graduate used to be. Right. Just sit there sadly. <laughs> the bottles aren't even out. It was a seasonal they um, released. It went out of production. And then it was a seasonal that came out once, maybe three years ago, something like that. It's just like, a, here's this for a minute. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Came out with kind of like, you know, pale block rotates, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. But yeah, I missed that beer. It was great. That was the one I was thinking of that slipped my mind mm-hmm. as far as just classic brown ales. What I are mean, your guys' experiences with with brown ales? I mean, my my intro to drinking things other than, you know, your re- regular domestics, Budweiser, Bud Light, was Newcastle. And I thought I was pretty fancy for Same. bringing the six-pack to the party, you know? Like, yeah. I'm, I'm that cool guy. Mm-hmm. Then you learn a little bit more, and you're like, you know... Newcastle isn't bad. I mean, I I say that now, but I haven't had one. Dude, I couldn't even tell you how many years. Um, but yeah, they were fine for what they were. I remember being excited when the wolf, what was it, the red blood wolf wolf one came out or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was like, oh, shit, it's a variant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. That's funny that that was both of our intro mm-hmm. into like different off of like macro loggers. I think I have it somewhere on my computer, but we even made a band like logo that was designed after the uh the Newcastle the logo. Newcastle logo. Like nice. the whole front thing. Like it was pretty silly. But it's my favorite beer, so you know. So do you still like brown ales? I mean I like this one. Yeah. Right. Um but generally no. Generally they it to me, if this makes sense, they come off a lot like stout water now. And maybe mm, it's because we drink great. more stouts now. And so I'm like, oh it's kinda like, you know, cereal water. It's like that would also make milk. a really good beer name. If stout, water. Put out stout water. Yeah. That'd be awesome. People would buy the crap out of it. Oh, stout water brown ale. Yeah. We're huh. nice and refreshing for the summer. Yeah. Um, we have a couple, like a year and a half missing in our beer compendium, which is what I pulled up to answer your question about my experience with brown ales. So, so taking that into account, Johnny, probably have the more informed guest, but Chris, I'd love to hear your thoughts too. How many brown ales do you think we've done on the show? Three. Like all time? Yeah. And minus, yeah, the year or so that we don't have locked in. Two. It, you said two? Two. You said three? Yeah. It is three. 
Nice. Um, and those beers are. Um, wow. We did a beer um, back in episode 55 in 2018 <clears throat> called Bonanza Brown Ale from Tanaya uh, Creek Brewing. Um, Waffle Town Maple Brown. Which oh, we that right was at good. The start, it was good at the start of the pandemic from Jackrabbit. Um, and then we did one from Caldera called PB&J uh, mm-hmm. in 2020 as well, um, which we did not like at all. I forget Caldera exists sometimes. I do too. And this is part of the reason because you gave that beer a 2.2 and I gave it a 4 out of 10. Yeah, I think I've been trying to forget on purpose. Yeah, but the Waffle Town Maple Brown from Jackrabbit, we both gave 8+. plus. That was good. Good beer. Yeah. I really dug that one. A well-made brown ale really scratches an itch. It does. And it's it's a very specific profile. Like, dude, every once in a while, it's about once a year. And mm-hmm. it's about the same amount of frequency that I buy Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Okay. Once a year or so, I'll buy a six-pack of Moostrel from Big Sky Brewery yeah. in Montana. Yep. And just be like, I love this beer. Why isn't this in my fridge all the time? Yep. It's so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, it'd be kind of fun, um, not to keep us off track, but like if if we did um, a stylistic breakdown, if you had a, like a weekly, like a go-to beer of every style, like you had, you had like a Pilsner or a Pale Ale or a Brown Ale, like what would your one beer be that you always had available for each style? I think that'd be a really fun list to make. That would. I think it would. It'd be kind of a difficult one, I think, once you get to like stouts and IPAs, because a lot of them are only made at a certain time. That's true. Maybe made once and then never made again. Okay. Well, so this is our fantasy. I was going to say. Forever. This is we're living in a cotton candy playhouse right that's now. True. So that beer that yeah, you loved true. that got made once, if that's what you want in your fridge, that'd be fun. Yeah, do you do you think true. your brown ale that's would true. be moostrel? Yeah. I think I do. It's probably fair. I can't really think of it. Like I can picture it, I just don't really have enough experience tasting it. So mine would be the Waffle Town from Jack Rabbit. All right. Really good. I mean, if I'd have to pick one like off the top of my yeah. head right now, yeah, Newcastle. Hell yeah. Only because Hell yeah. Wow. I, I mean, no, I get nostalgia. it. I get it. Nostalgia for me is a lot. It's uh, I think for a lot of us it is, but is that I why mean, we're reviewing a movie from the yeah, year two thousand? Twenty years ago. <laughs> twenty years actually when you said that I was like, is that really? 20 yeah, twenty three years, years ago? man. I was like, oh my God. Um Johnny, what's the name of the beer we're drinking from Fieldwork again? I don't have it in front of me. It is Monster Cookie Pinwheel. All right, Johnny, Monster Cookie Pinwheel out of ten. <sighs> out of ten? Shit, this is one of the better brown ales that I've ever had. I think it really pushes it into craft relevance. Um, as far as brown ales go, this is like a 9-1. It's got to okay. be. It's, it simply has to be. There's no breweries putting this kind of care and emphasis on a brown ale and elevating it in the way that this is. So 9.1. Yep. Chris Gomez, out of 10. Um, I was going to say 8.5. Dang, um, I because too. I do think it's really, really high, mm-hmm. um, especially because it doesn't taste like pastry. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, there is that element of chocolate, but it's not like, oh my god, I just drank a whole bottle of you know Hershey's syrup. That's true, and that's kind of what I like about the brown ale is it, it lets the ingredients shine without making it like super, super sweet. I think it's gross. I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like this perfume. I like you guys. Your guys' glasses are like empty, and I've been sipping mine because um, I didn't want to start a fight this early in the show today. But I think it's fucking nasty. I think, I think the perfume. It tastes like it tastes like if somebody took old potpourri and ground it up and put that, mixed it with water, and turned that into the perfume. And that's oh my God. that's what I taste first and foremost. And then it does mellow out, and it gets okay. But for me, it's like a three out of ten. I enjoy part of the wow. drinks, but I think this is very bad. You all have the rest. I don't. It's gone already. Yeah, Frank, we, yeah, we, perfect. Works out. Jesus, who hurt you? <laughs> That's where I'm at with this. All right, uh, you already keep moving. You want to talk about Titan AE? <laughs> Hold on, I kind of feel like we got to talk about that. Yeah, you just, just eviscerated that dude like out a, without addressing it. But that's okay. a pretty big divide. For I know. Myself. I don't like it. I think it's not good. I don't get that perfuminess. Yeah. Okay, it smells like cocoa puffs. It really does. Well. 
Yeah, it smells like it does smell like cocoa puffs. You're 100 right, but it tastes not that way. Mm. It tastes like oh. potpourri to me, or perfume. Yeah. Or like, it tastes like old lady perfume. Man, the things that happen in people's mouths is I know. really weird. <laughs> I know, and like I haven't had any like weird. Like I didn't try new food today that's like thrown off my palate. Did you eat curry? No, right? Like no, like <laughs> just strong. Like no, it just it's and I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. I had COVID once. Maybe that changed my mouth to taste something that we haven't had to drink yet. And you guys don't have the same experience that I did with COVID. I don't know. Mm. My sister doesn't like cilantro anymore. She that had COVID. She, she, I know. That's what I said. I was like, that's, that's horrible. That's probably, yeah, that's bad. I, I might just jump off a cliff. Yeah. Oh. Um. So I, yeah, I, I don't know the reason, but I think, um, no. All right. No, well, for me, that's, a, that's no. a no. So I have like one can left. I won't be sharing it with you. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Me and Chris are wow. going to drink it with some Newcastle under yes. a bridge. Yes, yeah. Sir. I love it. All right. Titan AE is a film. Chris, I'd never heard of this. I don't yes. know. What? I don't, so, right. So it came out in 2000, um, mm-hmm. at which point I was nine years old. And I don't know if you all want to play this game, <laughs> but we could. Because <laughs> I think it impacts why I may have not have heard of it and you may have. I was a freshman. So you're uh, 14-ish yeah. at that point. Chris, you're... I was 19. 19. I so like I already graduated. That's nice. Okay. Yeah. So so did you see it in theaters? Yes. Okay. Um, basically why I got excited about the movie first... Have you ever... You know, we can watch the trailer. Yeah, um, yeah. That's the one I saw in movies. I thought it was cool. It had all the actors that you wanted during the late 90s, you know, voiceovers. And uh, yeah, um, basically what really sold me was uh, Bill Pullman. Fair enough. Yeah, we'll talk yeah. about the cast here in a minute. Yeah. But um, yeah, right before the trailer here, I'll just read the, the generic internet synopsis mm-hmm. here, um, which is uh, Titany takes place in the distant future after Earth has been obliterated by a mysterious alien race known as the Dredge. Uh, Kale is a human teenager who has been given a mysterious map by his father, leading him on an unforgettable journey, which you're going to hear right now. Defense shields have been penetrated. Enemy warships have entered Earth's solar system. Deploy the last wave of fighters. Taking heavy fire! Final warning. Prepare for thermal attack. Evacuate! Evacuate! Launch remaining escape craft! Without a planet, we're no longer a threat. It's me, it's Kale. Humans. <laughs> the Titan was the key to finding a new homeworld. Your father hid the Titan. He knew the dredge would come after him. The only way to find it is in your hand. Me? The dredge wants you, only dead. How do you know they want me dead? <laughs> I happen to be humanity's last great hope. I weep for the species. So that was the trailer. Um, the thing that I left out in the description is, and I really like this. Sometimes, um, like like Fandango or whatever generic internet description, uh, I read. The older the movie is, the more the legacy of that movie is tied into what they write in the description. So the first sentence of this is actually a science fiction film that combines traditional animation with computer generated images. I think it understates yes. it quite a bit, yeah. but that's one of my favorite parts of the movie that I'm sure we're going to talk about. Yeah. Um, but again, it came out June 16th, 2000. It was directed by Don Bluth, Gary Goldman, Art Vitello. Um, there was a whole bunch of stuff about this movie where it was originally going to be a live action film that didn't work out. And it was this yeah. weird turning point of technology um, where it could have gone either way. And I think this is the right way to take it. Um, but Chris, let's start with you. Like more about your experience with this movie. Tell me things. So another way I got, you know, 
I guess notified or aware of this movie was uh, Joss Whedon. The, oh right, he's done this. He Avengers did the screenplay, um, but well, at that point he had done Firefly. So Firefly yeah. was like the best science fiction oh, television series in history. Sure. My favorite ever. Like I loved that science fiction show. Okay, mm-hmm. and you can actually see a lot of what he does in this movie because, in a way, these people are bounty hunters. You know, they're looking for something. They're like mm-hmm. a crew. There's mm-hmm. always a crew when Joss Whedon. It's Firefly. It's this one, and then he had hands in. Aliens 3 Resurrection, and that's a little bounty hunter crew. I mean, he, yeah, I think he really thrives in that one like group sort of setting. Like, there's six people, and that's what he focuses like on a team based movie, exactly. Yeah, yep. and that's kind of what led me to watch this. And then, of course, I mean, Don Bluth, the artist for Land Before Time, mm-hmm. uh, I think he did Secret of Nim. So, anything that oh. he does is just yeah. dark. And you know, really, really awesome. So you could tell Secret of Nim when they meet the Bat people. That yes. just screams yes. Secret of Nim to me so hard. Yeah. Yes. yes. What are those? Uh, I'm gonna do this lot to you. What are the? What's that uh, civilization called? The Bat People? Do you remember? Uh, it is Goels. It's a G for sure. Goels or something Goals? like that. We'll Goals. Find, yeah, we'll find out. Okay. I know they pronounce it a certain way. I'd... Can we call them the Ghouls? I think they are Ghouls. I third this motion. The Gaul. The Gaul. That's Gaul. What the Gaul. Okay. Great. Um, On planet Seshereen. Yeah, that's right. So you you did see it then eventually in theaters. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Like, I knew it was coming out. Okay. I mean, that's I was there. Yeah, love it. Mm-hmm. Okay, Johnny, what about you? Uh, I saw it in theaters as well. Okay, yeah, man. So I just I'm the only one here that it just completely missed me. Yeah, I think this is one of the only movies I saw at the El Rey. Oh, nice. oh whoa! I saw this. I saw the Last Starfighter there. Oh. I saw a few. Right, love the Last. You're talking uh-huh. about the Graduate, <laughs> the El Rey. You're, yeah, I the El Rey slow down. We, we don't do the movies thing anymore. Yeah. We are doing a nostalgic episode. We are. It's fun, yeah. man. <laughs> well, it's it's a 23-year-old movie. It's yeah. it's the era in which uh, nostalgia was being formed. So, yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, I was, you know, always plugged into science fiction and mm-hmm. all this stuff was just on my radar and um, I was super into it from the first trailer. Um, it reminded me a lot and I can't remember if it came out before or after. I think it came right around the same time as the movie Atlantis. Oh, I forgot about Atlantis. Uh, Like the last pure animation movie that Disney made. You know what's interesting? I've never seen that. Dude, you should watch it. I know what you're talking about. Atlantis is fantastic with, uh, I believe it's Michael J. Fox voicing the main character, if I'm not mistaken. I'll tell you in a moment. Check me on that. Uh, I'd be curious. Yes. Yeah. What year did that come out? The next year. The next year. Okay. So these were very synonymous in my mind as two just like groundbreaking Groundbreaking for different reasons. So you had the the pure animation of Atlantis. It's the last one they drew every single frame. frame. It yeah. was amazing to watch. Uh, and then it went to all CGI. And then you had Titan AE, which was kind of the marriage of the two, you had, especially with the classic art that you had in Titan mm-hmm. mixed with the, the the incorporation of CGI, which is was, they didn't know at the time, the future of animated movies. Absolutely. So... I was super into it. I loved both those movies, and I'm always game for sci-fi. I think yeah. you know that. That's yeah. why we get along. Yeah. It's just it, – it was such a good story. I think the the bones of this movie fit everything you want out of like a sci-fi, high fantasy in space epic. The plot, the character development, the villains, the, the creatures, the world building, mm-hmm. it just – it checks all the boxes. And I think uh, Titan AE would have been good – uh, if it was executed properly in any medium, but I was really happy the way the animation turned out. I agree. 
I think Definitely they agree. they knew like the, it's it's pretty formulaic as science fiction movies go, even even yeah. at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think yeah, the real reason this movie held up, at least for me, what I what I noticed on on no nostalgia, just a first viewing, is that really strange intersection of animation and CGI or hand animation and CGI. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there's not a ton of that that was going on at the time. No. This movie also did really really poorly at the box office. It's one of those Horrible. that is like caught up in in the past twenty <laughs> years. Like it's gotten a following. But it was made on a seventy-five million dollar budget. I think it grossed thirty-six million worldwide. <laughs> seventy-five million in two thousand money. Uh, I'm actually that's, yeah, crazy. that's probably right. Yeah, that's crazy. That's so much money. But to be fair, the month before this came out in theaters, you also you had Dinosaur. Do you guys remember that movie? Oh yeah. yeah. Like, there's not a ton of animated family movies that come out in blockbuster summer season. Mm-hmm. So it had that going against it. It also opened up next to Gone in sixty seconds. Oh wow. Mission Impossible yeah. two. Um, the Perfect Storm, The Patriot, like a ton of movies. Gladiator was like a month before. What a great year for a movies. Pretty wow. good year. But this 2000 was coming off of 99, which is like arguably one of the top five years of movies ever. But like it had stiff competition. Mm-hmm. And a time where like I think people were kind of looking for like the security of familiarity when it came to movie making, like especially with something like The Patriot. Like it's Mel Gibson who at the time we didn't know much about. <laughs> And not liking him for certain things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was just like a movie star. <laughs> so like, and like gone in 60 seconds, like Nick Cage was also not as known for being a weirdo yet. Like well. it was this solid movie time. And then somebody yeah. throws this thing out. It's like, it's like this kind of family movie sci-fi, but it's also kind of fucking dark. Mm-hmm. And there's some yeah. high concepts and like, you're going to have to really like sci-fi, which has always struggled in box offices right alongside horror until recently. Definitely. Like it's not for everybody, but they threw so much money at this thing. And like, we'll talk about the cast. Like I'm sure that cost money. Yeah. They really swung. Mm-hmm. And it didn't work at the time. But yeah, I, for what it's worth, I think I'm with you guys. It's a pretty good movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and from what I understand too, I did not look into this at all, but I know that Don Bluth was leaving a, a studio and this was, I believe this was his first turn as in this new studio doing it. I could be wrong, but I remember reading that something That rings about a bell that. to me too. I'll find out. Because I know he was doing movies for, you know, whoever did The Secret of Nim. That was it pair. Yeah, I don't remember. Warner Bros. I don't, you know. Yeah. Huh. I'm not as fast as typing as I was hoping. I haven't found out anything yet. I'm also doing like this weird kind of lean. Um, okay, no answer on Don Bluth yet, but okay. It's all right. Um, should we talk cast? Who's yeah. in this? Who's, oh, definitely. So you said the movie is made for you by Bill Pullman. Yeah. Um, and he's at least third listed here because you have, of course, Matt Damon. Yes. As as Kale Tucker, yes. um, Damon, and then and then Drew Barrymore, um, I feel like we should talk about at some point. But she plays Akima, who is, you know, this would be more fun. Who's the Akima? Who's Akima the character? What's her deal? So Akima is just another one of the members of the crew, the core crew. She's yeah. like the um, she's like she's the one character that is going to help Kale realize that humans like humans are cool. Yes, like we got something worth fighting for here. Well, I think she's the one who helps him see that just because she was raised in a colony mm-hmm. um, and not on Earth, yeah. that you know those people, their opinions still matter. Mm-hmm. Because he's he's become selfish and a little jaded because you know you you watch your world get blown up in front of you, you're probably sure. not going to care as yeah. much as he used to. Um, but that I think that was the main point of her character. And then obviously they have that little I, yeah love interest, but that's not. I feel like yeah. that's just like a two thousand trope that needed to be there. She's like the only female yeah. character in the whole movie, pretty much. We uh, could kind of tell from that very first opening scene. Oh, yeah. When he lands on the ship and he's like play wiping the window like he's a window yeah, cleaner and yeah. then he smiles. And yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. 
Um, There's a love interest. <laughs> totally. Okay. Why Bill Pullman for you? Who who plays? Have you uh, seen Independence Day? Sure. But he, <laughs> Scott <laughs> Joseph here. Um, um, I guess when I see his name yeah. attached to science fiction movies, I feel okay. Because I'm like, you know, he wouldn't attach himself necessarily to a movie that's not going to at least be interesting. Because he had to read the script before he did it. For sure. So, Okay. I, I get that. I'm like that with certain actors. Like if there's somebody, especially if there's like two of these in one movie, I'm like, like it's like Barbie for me. And it's not always actors. Like Greta Gerwig's directing. Ryan Gosling agreed to be in it. I'm like, yeah, it's going to be great. Like, that's mm-hmm. going to be interesting. Like I'm st- like, yeah. you know, I obviously don't play with Barbies or know much about that. You didn't what? But I want to watch sure. the movie. Yeah. Like, just to see what they do with it. Plus yeah. the first trailer was kind of fire. It, was weird. it looks it was great. Very weird. <laughs> it looks so good. It vaguely reminded me of, do you remember that weird one with Robin Williams toys? Mm-hmm. It kind of reminded me of that. Yeah. Like just a strange world. Mm-hmm. Johnny, do you have any actors or, or directors <laughs> where you're just like, no matter what, like, like I feel like Rob Zombie, if you put out a movie, but yeah, it's going to, no, God, oh, really? no, he's put out some shit movies. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I said director wise, like Denis Villeneuve. Actor, sure. Like if yeah. he stamps it, like I'm yeah. going to watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Actors, you said that the first thing that came to mind was Florence Pugh. Great one. She's mm. one where I'm like, if she's in it, um, I'm gonna pay attention. Yes. Um, and lately, uh, Jesse Buckley. Uh, oh yeah, like she can't Jessie miss. Buckley, what did you see recently? Then? Men. Oh sure, I loved yeah. her. Yep. Um, but yeah, there's a few, and also like Rooney Mara. I, I really yeah. like her acting. She crushes too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Back to the cast, I suppose. I mean, I will say though, although Bill Pullman's the one that brought me there, it's not my favorite actor in the movie. Who is? It's gonna be weird. Okay, okay, okay. Why? John Leguizamo. It's John Leguizamo, man. John it's Leguizamo. Goon. <laughs> Goon adds so much of that emotional element that needs to be there, and that kind of like childlike innocence that you know. I mean, he's getting smacked, you know, later on in the movie yeah. and stuff like that, yeah. and he's just the one that, in my opinion, that was just a great. Like conveyed so much emotion without okay. using so many words, if that makes sense. Right. And kind of a weird, weird, very weird character. I agree. Just to get back real quick to, to Bill Pullman's character. He's like, yes. he's the sergeant that sort of assembles the team. Yeah. He's like spent 15 years looking for Kale and like he finds him and then yes. he's the one, the leader. Right. Um, and then Which Goon, is actually weird about Bill Pullman because he meets Kale in the very beginning of the movie. Totally. But like he doesn't know – they don't know each other at that point. He's right. just picking up Kale's dad right. yes. to go to the Titan. Um, yes. Okay, so then Goon is like a, 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 their tech map reader person. Yeah, like they're – Non-human. That's the yeah, first non-human, non-human we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm sure that species might have a name. I don't know how deep the lore goes for this sort of thing. but I didn't look into it, but I'm sure they do, yeah. Um, not super socially adept. No. Kinda, not at all. <laughs> you know? Um, but I agree with you. Like, there's some emotional weight that's thrown to that character. Yeah. There's a, a fake death scene. Yeah. Which um, did, I, I don't know. It was okay. It was all right. But the lie is, I'm going to take a happen. nap. Yeah. And then when you see that character, you're just like, I, my nap's over. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> I, sh- I came in shooting guns, like, nap's over, bitches. But oh, it wasn't, yeah. like, it was like, nap's over. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I loved it. Um, who were we missing as far as main players that we need to talk about voice acting well, with? I mean, Stith is Janine Garofalo. Garoppolo. Which one was stiff? The yeah, the late one. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the gun, the gun. And person. then uh, what's his name? Is it Tech? I think uh, Tech is so he the the gun guy, the crazy sort of Tech is the first guy that's taking care of Kale that oh. takes him from the ship. But that's actually Tone Loke. Yeah, it's it pretty funny. Yeah, um, but it's pre oh predex. Yeah, so pre-dex. his name is 
Predex, mm-hmm. but throughout the whole movie, they only call him Preed. Sure. And that's Nathan Lane. It's, I know. I and didn't know that until the wonderful. credits either. Like, it is so awesome, The just his acting in general. Like, I, yeah. that was one of the ones I'm like, yeah, that's Nathan Lane. I mean. It's fantastic. Mm. Okay, that's, I think that's the core, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I don't think we're missing any major characters. Um, at least, at least I looked at the list and I feel like I'm not thinking of anybody else. No, I think we're good with that. Okay. I mean, there's Corso's dad, but I. Yeah. Who is Ron Perlman? That's Corso's dad. That is, right? Yeah, that is Corso's okay. dad. So yeah. yeah. Or I'm sorry, uh, Kale's, Kale's dad. dad. Yeah. Um, and he, Sam, Sam Tucker. Sure. Okay. But yeah. he obviously goes away on the ship in the beginning. Yeah. Of the, so you don't really see him at all till the end and it's just a holograph. So he's I was, dude, well, him. yeah. Can we outline the plot like very briefly, like in, in a few minutes here, like for those that haven't seen it, because I want to <laughs> talk about specific scenes, but I want them to be in context. So, like what happens throughout the movie, starting from kind of the beginning to the end? I mean, basically you have a group of aliens called the Dredge that they have deemed us a threat. So they kill and destroy our planet. Luckily we were able to escape with this ship that can help mm-hmm. People, the cool thing about this whole story is that you don't really know what the ship can do. Right. It just tells you it can help the human race. Yes. And basically, we're living in space trying to find this ship. And the only way for us to continue on is to find the ship because if we don't, we're going to die out in space because yep. we can't survive that way. Yeah. Everybody's and all scattered. And so, basically, I mean, you could say this almost about any alien uh, sci fi, but mm. it's, it's really a good versus evil story. I mean, that's really what it is. And it that's is. really the story and the the meaning behind it. Yeah, so you've got the the dredge <clears throat> and this crew. Mm-hmm. The, we're all looking for the same thing. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot we've of got that. Got Yep. We're chasing a thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we have to stop along the way to find the clues to get to the thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and that's essentially the movie. And by the end, um, of course, we find it. There's been a, a couple of betrayals along the way. Yes. Um, good guy wins. Bad guys lose. Um, and that's the movie, essentially. Yeah. And then there's a new planet. That's what the ship does. It creates a planet. Yes. Which was strange to me because, like, the dredge were like, this This is – because I think the narrator says, like, it was the, it was the pinnacle of the human imagination, what we yes. could do. So – but then the dredge were like, we can't have this. We must destroy their planet. But I feel like if they had just not destroyed Earth – we never would have used the thing to make a new planet. I don't get what the threat was. What are they upset about? So what their worry is, is humans becoming more than we are. It's almost like there's a lot of that in alien sci-fi because mm-hmm. they see what humans can become and they want to stop us. And basically what you kind of learn, at least what I took from it in that last scene where they start the Titan mm-hmm. because of being able to use their energy mm-hmm. – that's what they were really afraid. Makes sense about the humans because now the dredge are gone. Right, it's like a smothering so, a baby in the crib kind yeah. of situation. It's like if they don't kill us, then they die. It may yeah. not even be any more severe than that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They may not even care that we become more than them. It's just they didn't want us to exist. That's probably fair. And it's funny you say that too because I was actually watching the movie earlier today because I wanted to know that exact yeah. thing too. And it doesn't really say. It just says that they're afraid of yes. what we can become. Yeah. And I think that works fine as a plot device, but I also yes. think it's a limiting factor when it comes to emotional investment in a story like this. But it does leave it open for another movie when you think about it. Well, sure. You know what I mean? And so maybe yeah. maybe they thought there was going to be a second part. I don't know. That's I, Obviously there wasn't. I guess I... <laughs> <laughs> you never know, man. There's been, there's been longer reboots. Shit, they're remaking time. everything else. Right. I know, right? I, um, I was hoping that we would get a little bit more villain depth to the dredge is all. 
Like they look yeah. super cool, but I wanted some motivation. And it's really just, it ends up being excitement and like nameless goons to shoot along the way. There was like one queen that tells them all what to do. It was a lot of destroy all humans. Yeah. Yeah. So it is, it is like objective it, bad versus good. It reminded me a lot of uh, Independence Day. Totally. You know, with those type of aliens. Because you don't really know their story and you get a little hint of what yeah. they want and that's about it. And that's like, uh, that's fine. I think yeah. that's great. I But also like nothing really changes with any of the characters. There's no real character development along the way. <laughs> It's just a visually cool spectacle. I would say with Kale there is. I, okay, you're right. I guess the main character does have his thing. And with Captain. And with Corso. All right. I wasn't hungry, but I will eat my words. <laughs> All right. You're right. Some people do. Well, I just remember that one scene when him and Corso are talking, and he tells him, you know, if I don't like the way things are going, I'll leave. So that right there told me yeah. that he doesn't yeah. really care about the cause at that moment. Sure. He's just there for... I mean, I, I don't know at that point, money. I mean, I have. Well, yeah, point. I guess he was, I guess it, that was their way out. Like he was going to get yeah. shot. So he had to go with him. I also thought that scene was choreographed kind of weird. Like it was, that's not the right word, I guess, but like they're pouring this blue goo drink. And then he says something like mildly threatening, like kind of like that, like, Hey, I'll do what my father did. Cheers. They like, oh, and, and he goes, and I'll leave. Yeah. And I'm like, what? That's not a cheers situation. That's a standoff. I thought it was weird. They were like <laughs> clinking glasses and like, all right, you leave. Like space cowboys, man. You know, it's just real. I get like mutual sort of. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. <laughs> um, yeah. There was a lot of growth on his part though. And then a lot of that was um, perpetuated by his relationship with Akima, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. in the realizing that the humans are worth having a planet for and hopes worth holding out and, and all that. It kind of turned his whole character arc around into yeah. fighting for the planet versus sure. just because at the beginning, Kayla's like, is there anything on this thing that I could pawn? Yeah. I think that's a direct line from the movie. Mm, yeah. So, like, you see his motivation completely shift and, like, he accepts the validity of the whole mission. Mm -hmm. Has he ever not – has he not ever taken the ring off to, like, see those little buttons and, like, right? fucked with them? That was always a weird thing, too, but maybe he did, but it had to be done in a certain way for it sure. to turn on. So, yeah, I was looking at that, too. That's kind of an interesting one. And the fact that he still had the ring after that long. I mean, yeah. I get it's the last thing your dad gave you, so you yeah. probably hold on to it. But, I mean, what happened in that 16 years? Like, I know. I don't know. I guess, like, he, yeah, he presumably has gotten jaded about everything and now just wants to be a little scavenger. Yeah. And apparently his fingers were the exact same size. Yeah. I exactly. guess, but not so – it wasn't such a good fit. That like, like, at one point, one character just pulls it right off his hand. Like, Give me that. He's just thinking, <laughs> like, what the hell, man? I think it was Corso. He's like, Give yeah. me that. Um, okay, favorite, favorite sequences, scenes, settings, effects – score check there's like some pretty sick contemporary music that happens yes. in here like but it's very like 2000s yeah right? the soundtrack was very like new metal totally i actually uh that's part of my notes here is i put the bands that were on this because i mm -hmm. needed i mean i knew one was lit okay. so lit is on there <laughs> powerman 5000 a band called electricy which i've never heard of okay fun loving criminals the urge holding on bliss jamiroquai that one was interesting. oh, oh shit, shit. all right cool Splashdown, Wailing Souls, and Luscious Jackson. So very, very late 90s stuff. Yeah, this yeah. movie aged better than those bands did. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Are there There's any like, of them still? I'm sure they're doing like the casino circuit or something. Like three like. of them are still. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're going to be at Gold Country next weekend. Mm -hmm. Lid is still wearing the, uh, what, the red dickies and the black um, wife beaters. Or yep, whatever. that a thing? Tank top. Now, oh, that's his uniform. <laughs> oh, you don't yeah. know this? Yeah. Wife pleaser, man. Wife pleaser. That's the way to do it. I, that's, okay. I don't know. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, crazy, crazy soundtrack. I didn't know most of those songs, but they all evoked a very particular time period. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, yeah. And I mean, you could 
tell that a few of them were definitely made for the movie because like the action mm. sequence would start mm-hmm. and then boom, the song comes in like exactly yeah, with the yeah. spaceship. And you're like, yeah, you guys definitely worked on this. Yeah. Together. I wonder, we've talked about this a lot, dude, like I, the delineation between soundtrack and score. And usually a score is music composed for the film, usually yes. in tandem with a scene. Um, and a soundtrack is like a needle drop that gets put in, like mm-hmm. like any Guardians movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But I like the idea that they would create a contemporary song that functions like a soundtrack would, but it is actually the score and it's the scenes being built around it or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Also, there's um, there's like the timpani from 2001 A Space Odyssey. And the boom, boom, oh, yeah. boom, boom, mm, yes. boom. Like when the title card goes, like, you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you can't show me a shot of space and go boom, boom, boom. I think that's one of those sounds that's like universal now and they can use it fairly cheaply. Maybe. But yeah. like I, that and the Wilhelm scream. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Surprised there wasn't one of those in this movie. There might have been. I did not hear one. I, I'm always listening. <laughs> Don't even try. I'm to. surprised. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> um, so you asked favorite scenes, anything favorite? Any... Yeah, stand up portions of this movie. You should take this first. Since Probably it's your movie. I mean, my favorite scene is when they're at the uh, planet Sisharim, and then uh, the dredge attack. It's a great sequence. And so that whole fight scene of them running, trying to get to the boat, mm-hmm. all the, you know, the gal is like carrying all of them and they're sacrificing themselves like, to like save these people. Which I also didn't understand. Well, because totally. basically I what I came to believe is that they also know the potential of humanity. And sure. so their their goal was to protect that because they helped. Like dad you know, confided in them, was like, this, is, this exactly. is our future. You have to help me protect it. And for whatever reason, they were, you know, down for humans. Sure. And they're pretty uh, pretty awesome. One of the most inventive parts of the movie, I think, is the way that those, during their flight, when they're running from the ships or flying from the ships, they slice the the stems of these explosive fungus yep. with their, like, sh- I guess they have sharp wings. I yeah. thought that was so inventive. Like, that's the kind of sci-fi world building I want to see. Like, what a cool concept. Exactly. They live in this, like, very inhospitable planet, but turns out they've evolved with the planet to, like, it's their defense mechanism. Uh-huh. So cool. I and they knew how to work it. Great you know, like, sequence. That's very cool. Yeah, that was probably my, I mean, action scene, my favorite part. Sure. Okay, Johnny, favorite action scene? It was going to be mine. Okay, well, Yeah, especially when they were transferring Kale. You would get dropped, and they would swoop in and catch him. You know, that's anytime there's a scene like that where there's people falling through the sky, I think they did that in like, um, oh God, you have a tattoo. The Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, uh, you know there was a, like a couple times like somebody got dropped and a dragon like oh, rescued probably, them, or, like, bit their head off in the air. That, but stuff like that, man. <laughs> yeah, a little, yeah. little toss in the pig skin mm-hmm. with the main character. Love that. Love that. Yeah, and I love them as characters. They were just so evil, druid looking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I loved them. That was probably some of the most metal characters in yeah, the movie. Definitely for sure. Definitely, they're all yeah. wearing the robes like yeah. they're in uh, Sano. But it's like uh, their think, skin. Like that's. I think those are their wings, right? That just yeah. kind of like yeah. collapse into like monkish looking robes. Yeah, Pretty so hardcore. Cool. Pretty cool. Um, and then I, sacrificing themselves for Akima, yeah. and like I love the way it was drawn because it was an obvious sacrifice. It wasn't just like oh he missed the last one. Literally grabs yeah. her. Yeah. Knows he's gonna blow up, tosses Toss her up higher, way. and still dies. Like I was like, dude, that's baller. Right, like, that's yeah, yeah. baller. Yeah. Um, some of you just said Johnny made me think of it, but I also really like the technological idea of their like tractor beam. Yes, because they have like these. They're they're, ba- they're they say at one point in the movie like, they're pure energy, mm-hmm. um, but like they, there's no like sense of solid or liquid with them. They're just sort of this like this malleable sort of un- intangible kind of material. So when they get sucked up in the ship. They like tractor beam like normal, like you expect, and then they like melt through the walls, yeah. which comes back later in a prison escape, which I thought was pretty exactly. cool. Like learning, yeah. it, like Kale learning how to do it with his little fingers, and like, oh, like if I channel the energy at this one point, I can go through. Mm-hmm. 
character development. That's mm-hmm. what that is. And I think that adds to the fear of why the dredge didn't like the humans yeah. because we could manipulate their energy. Yes. Yeah, agreed. Um, I really like the establishing sequence of, I think it's a little bit cheesy, but when he gets surrounded by those two goons in the very beginning and we first meet Corso yes. with the lasso or whatever. Yes. Like it gives you a sense of the character, which is kind of fun. Like he's he's kind of like the like the Han Solo mentality kind of, exactly. you know, yeah. survive by the skin of his teeth situation and doesn't care. Yeah, he throws one rope around him and, yeah, tingles them both. Oh up no, I mean, I mean, Kale jumps out. Oh, you mean Kale? Yeah, Kale's like oh. he's like he's gonna get himself beat up. He doesn't care, but okay. like, he just knows he's gonna be so able little to slip out of the, like cocky Hanzo. Totally. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess it works for Corso too. Um, but he's kind of the almost the dad character yeah. in a way. Yeah. Until you find out what his real right. You know what? What? What was his reason for betraying them? Because he's like he doesn't believe in humans. He's like this is the way we all got to survive. Yes. He, basically, all the things he was saying, he was mad at Kale for. Like, oh man, they really ground you down. That was pretty much that was it. it. It was selfishness. Um, they probably offered him something. You know, I I don't know, but I remember yeah. that it was like he was going to kill them for the dredge. So right. He probably actually now that I think about it, um, the Titan itself. Remember mm-hmm. it completely ran out of power because yes. they used it during launch. So he probably thought there was no way to charge it up because he's not as smart right, as right. Sam and his yeah. son, Kale, yeah, right. cause this dude's just a captain. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why he thought there was no way to do it. That way he could just give him a busted ship and then still survive. Yeah. And get paid. He yeah. changes his mind, right? So Kale tries to, yes. tries to save him, thinks he doesn't, but then he does survive. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not totally convinced on why he changed his mind. Cause his, what he says is like, maybe they can be defeated. At that point, I don't think there's really evidence to support that. Like, it looks like they're about to get creamed. Yeah. I think once Preed does the whole sure. double crossing the du- on the him, double, too. Double yeah, cross. the double, double cross. Yeah. I think that's, um, you know, and then he almost dies. And then Kale doesn't, let you know, let him go. Yeah. He's, I think, he's a good guy. I think that was the point that he saw. At the very least, he should let Kale try. I wish I wish he would have vocalized that. I wish, like, they would have had a moment where he was like, I'm sorry. Like I see, I see the value in our species. Like we're together on this. Like let's get them. So the moment I think, even though they didn't say it like that, was when Kale was pinned up against the wall on the outside. They were in the spacesuits, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he was pinned up by the dread ship. Oh, you're and right. He said you're never going to have a clearer mm-hmm. shot than now, and he shot the dread ship and said, "Let's go." And so I think that that's a yeah. Remember, that's a tough, manly way to say it, right? Without saying, "Oh yeah, I really I appreciate so. you. Yeah. I get where you're coming from." It's like no. We're gonna do this, brother. <laughs> like, <Here's>, okay, <laughs> like, all right, man. <laughs> um, yeah, but like, I don't know. I could see another if they did do not a remake, but like a sequel to this. Like, they could give him the Loki treatment, um, where like you know, in one Thor movie, like Loki is a bad guy, but then he like convinces you he's good, and then he switches again. Because you could make the case that Cor- Corso's still kind of like the, like looking out for himself. He's like, okay, yeah, my my guy Kale might beat these guys, and I want to be on his good side if he does. Yeah, and then I can further myself. They're just good, playing the strongest hand. Totally. Yeah. And like changing sides whenever you have to. Yeah. That's a I scary mean, character. That actually makes more sense. That would be sick. Yeah. Um, Start writing some fanfic. Sure. I know, right? What's the dude's name? You just said it. Um, Preed. Preed. Uh, never once seemed like maybe a good guy. No. He seemed evil from the beginning. hyena kind of thing going. Yeah. And um, I think his character was drawn that way for you to always be suspicious of yeah. him. Kind of a bummer that they made Nathan Lane do that, but I loved his character, yeah. like what he brought to that. So that was pretty yeah. good. Um, you fellas feel like taking a break and grabbing another beer? Absolutely. And then when we come back, we'll talk about some other fun stuff about Titan AE. Let's do it. All right, yeah. don't go anywhere. Be right back. All right, we're back from the break. Here we are. Um, Chris, 
Yes. Let's talk about the beer. Let's talk about let's talk about the beer normally. Tell me what it is, and then we can say what has happened. Well, this is a double barrel VSOJ um, barley wine aged in bourbon barrels, and I believe this one. Let's see, we don't have a description on here, so that's fun. Um, but it is double barrel, so I believe one is a bourbon barrel. And I'm going to be lying my ass off if I told you what the second one was. Okay, I'm we can start with that. Tawny. I was going to say this. This tastes yeah. like wine. Yeah. So I'm guessing maybe, but I could be wrong on that. Oh, actually, you know, I'm very is wrong. It port. No, it's cognac and um, bourbon, which that makes, would make sense. For the next sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure. We got it. We're hip. Yeah. There we are. We're, we're there. <laughs> um, Revolution Brewing Company. Yep. Chicago, um, Illinois. And where'd you got it? Where'd you, where'd you got it? <laughs> where'd you got it, man? Uh, so my buddy Derek uh, hooked it up. He was going to the release and said that he had a few uh, spots he could bring some beer backs, uh, some beers back in his um, suitcase for us. So we did it. Love it. And you told us uh, on the break he went there just for this release. Yes. What a soldier! Mm-hmm. Like what a goddamn soldier! Guys I'm gonna everywhere. fly to Chicago just to pick up beer and come back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think I know him. No. What's the last name? Do, did you do you want to say it? I don't know. Shouldn't. I don't know. We can. I don't know. It's, it, a, it's a nice shout out. It is. Yeah. Well, he's a spy, so keep it on. Is this for real? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the guy. Uh, but okay, some guy named Derek <laughs> got this. Great. Um, <laughs> maybe. Sure. Maybe. This. Sure. Allegedly. All right. <laughs> um, okay. Johnny, you to make us give up has. our hookup, man. <laughs> Look, yeah. <laughs> Johnny, you've had it before. Uh, sure, if Chris says I have. Oh, okay. Yes. Where? Yeah, when? Where, <laughs> when? when? Help. We've drank so much together. It was, it was either at my house, but I'm I'm actually convinced it was the last uh, share we had at JJ's. Oh, okay. When that would have been? been Easter? Yes. Okay. Because it was, we had gotten there a little early, and it was a, it's a small can, so it's like, Mm-hmm. I think I shared it with just like the four people. That, that makes sense. Right. Okay. So then what has happened with this can in particular that stands out from your experience with the beers in the past? Mm-hmm. When it exploded. Open. Oh, this <laughs> one. Oh, this yeah. One. This, <laughs> this one exploded. And this was really weird um, because I've had them in my fridge the whole time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just opened it and it uh, kind of fizzed up. I was actually expecting some sort of off flavors, but we didn't get it. So I'm guessing over carbonation or maybe something was still alive in there. Yeah, maybe. I, no clue. Uh, Does it taste the same as the other cans you've had? Yeah. Still Weird. tastes pretty good. Okay, yeah. So like yeah, I haven't tasted mine yet. I was trying to look up a description, but I couldn't find the right one. So it's like when you look at it in your glass now, how it's kind of still, that's how it poured the other three cans. So it was kind of surprising yeah. to see this one. Yeah, there's like no bubbles in mine now. No. It reminds me of those uh, bags when you steal them from a bank in a movie. And then they got the paint thing in the so ink, like yeah. Blue. And then underneath, of course, you have real money, but you gotta get through that, you know, the, the, the blue, the paint the blue explosion. layer. Um, okay, I'm gonna try mine, but I'd love if somebody talked about what you're tasting. Did you specify the ABV on this? I don't think you did. did not. It's it's a big boy. This one is sixteen point eight. It is not small. Well, that's the description I have up here. You said it was two barrels, right? We said cognac and what was the other one? Bourbon. Was it Templeton Rye by chance instead? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's yeah, that's a whiskey. You're right, whiskey yeah. and. Uh, but if it could be, I don't know if it says bourbon on there. But if it doesn't, if it just says whiskey, then this might be the right description. Barley wine aged in bourbon barrels. That's not it, then. All right. Um, wait, why did we all assume that this was cognac? Does it say cognac, or did we just put together the acronym? And for some reason, think I that feel it has like to do with I cognac. read that 
on when I bought them, but let me double check here. All right, well, I'm, I'm, gonna, sure. I'm gonna read this then just in case. This says double barrel, very special old jacket is a cuvee barrel aged English barley wine um, between one age between one and three years before blending and rebarreling in Templeton rye barrels for an additional 18 months. Uh, this year's long maturation results in harmonic malt complexity and uncharted depths of flavor. A smattering of French oak casks provides a barrel expression as broad as it is intense. The absolute pinnacle of our barley wine journey to date. And that's off of Untapped. Okay, so here's my guess into why I thought it was cognac. What's that cognac called? That it's like there one that starts with the V yeah, it's or, like something. V and J or something. But it's not yeah, that. It's so it's not that. Hmm. So that was my natural assumption. Um, but yeah, it's it's 100% bourbon barrels. It doesn't say what the other kinds are. It just says one to three years bourbon barrels. But then it's Templeton rye that it ends in. But that's that's kind of weird because rye isn't necessarily a bourbon, right? Um, rye, no, rye is not a bourbon. Yeah, rye is a rye. You got whiskey up top? Yeah. You got Canadian, bourbon, rye, scotch. They're all whiskeys. Yeah. But no, bourbon specifically um, is a particular type of whiskey. Well, that's interesting then that mm. they use the terminology. The thing on cognac is VSOP, um, <laughs> which we all thought, but it's not correct. And which, by the way, in case you ever care, stands for very superior old pale. It's usually underneath the description or the the type of cognac. So you could have like Hennessy, VSOP. Mm-hmm. It's like it's bragging about being very cool. special. So not what this is. I'm glad we clarified. Um, this is super sweet. I've had one sip and it's really good. Yes. It very is sweet. cripplingly sweet. I think so too. But I'm into it. And yeah, if you're not into that, that's it's going to be tough. It's a really good barley wine, though. Like, they've come a long way and made barley wines just so damn delicious. That's great. I mean... It's like a lot of caramel, a lot of dark fruit in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you, you know, I think once you get into this 16 17% range, I mean, you're going to get sweetness, right? Mm-hmm. The amount of sugar you have to use to get... But are, are you getting heat as well? Are you getting like that burning? <laughs> I'm not either. No. Which I think is kind of an... Well, it may be a testament to how sweet it is, but still. It'd um, be nice, like, you know, right in like dessert mm-hmm. after oh, dinner. Yeah. Like, oh man. Did we say this is a 12 ounce can, not a 16 or anything? Yeah. Okay. Well, think. no, and well, now we did. Now we did. It's <laughs> yeah. for the best. I think I said it was a small can. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. A 24 ounce can of this... Um, Actually, would be kind of cool, but way too much. Like, you know, just, just a giant. I almost set out a four loco on the table as a joke when you guys got here. But like that size can um, with this, too sweet. Be a yeah. lot. 12 ounces by oneself is even probably too much. I did have one. I mean, my man. Know, got to. You got to. Uh, that before this? No. 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 <laughs> uh, but it was, yeah, very nice to drink the full can. Nice. Um, Does its job. Pretty rare that a beer gets this high in ABV. Yeah. Some stouts. Some barley wine, some old ales. Mm-hmm. What's the strongest IPA you guys ever had? Fifth, oh, I know what it is for me and you, Johnny. I'm pretty sure. Okay. It's like 15.1, and it was a beer from Dust Bowl called um, Prone or Supine. I can't remember Ooh, which yeah, one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Strong-ass beers. Wasn't that supposed to be like a quad IPA or something Yeah, I think like that's what it was called. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are you, Chris? The strongest beer I've ever had? No, no, strongest IPA. Oh, IPA? Like just ballpark. If you, if you can think of the specifics, awesome. I couldn't even tell. 11, 12%, maybe maybe higher. You got I, higher. I don't know. Or what was that? Didn't Knee Deep do some weird like quad that was insanely high? They did. Um, well, so Hoptologist is pretty high. Simtra is even higher. And then they had one that was called um, Deranged. It was like a series, and they would age an IPA in whiskey barrels. So they did one in Jack Daniels, and I think that was like 13, if not 14%. Okay. They came in bombers. They had them spikes back in like yeah, that's right. 2017. That's right. I wonder if they still have them. The same batch? Who I knows? wonder. Gotta go look. 
Uh, all right. Well, let's. You guys got any cons? Anything else you want to talk about? You just want to give this this baby a rating? Well, it's delicious. It's smooth. It reminds me of like a brown sugar covered um, prune. Yeah. Like, can a, I have some more? I don't know. Come on. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know because I don't think there was any left. Yeah. Oh, there's a little. We bit. lost some ounceage with this explosion. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, tons of like that super like caramelized brown sugar, just delicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of fruit, lots of squishy, almost raisiny, but sweeter. Mm-hmm. So that would be like a, almost like a candied plum, maybe. Dates come to mind, though, for sure. Yeah. I think what I like about double barrel beers, at least the ones that I've tried, mm-hmm. they send, they give off like this almost like syrupy quality, mm-hmm. which for some reason to me hits some sort of, like you guys are saying it's super sweet. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, I do get that, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't, like that's not the, the star for me. Mm-hmm. It's like the star for me is the the weird like caramelization of like not necessarily the sweetness but the burn burnt sugar. Mm. In it. Okay, yeah, yeah. So like, it doesn't come off super sweet to me. It almost comes off kind of dry. Okay, kinda which like the, I guess does remind me of prunes and raisins. Like the difference between butter and brown butter. Yes. You just what's, get yeah. What's the the term for the searing of meat? Like what is that chemical? The uh, the Maillard reaction is it Maillard? Yeah, Maillard's mm-hmm. toast, but it's I think oh, it's like right. the browning. Of there's a word, uh, yeah. If there, if that exists for this, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, it's it's the chemical difference of the change of like, yeah, like a creme brulee versus just like raw sugar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever that is, is what's happening here. It's like almost on the verge of a liqueur, but not totally. Yeah, I think I think the sensation you guys described or, or comparing it to port wine early on is similar. Your like big it, dessert wine, very, uh, very. And all viscous. our uh, wrong barrel guesses before we got there. We got there. <laughs> That's what counts. <laughs> I think I always. I'm not joking. I think I assumed that it was cognac because of the VSOJ. It looks very like if you look, you can't see my screen. It looks it, like it looks. They even do the dots in between. It looks yeah. like you would. It makes you think of a cognac label. Yeah. To the point where I'm like I'm not even sure if I should trust the internet. Like, That's why else would you do that? <laughs> yeah. Well, it drinks like cognac. It does. Yeah. Um, I guess it's because of the name because they called it a very special, uh, very special old jacket versus the uh, very special old pale. Pale is that right? Is that what I said? Yeah, that's what it says. Mm-hmm. Huh. Mm. That was coined in 1817, by the way. Well, it makes no sense. No sense. <laughs> um, okay. Out of ten, Johnny Summers. I mean, it's up there with the, the heavy hitters of barley wines that I've ever had. You know, I think back to some killers from like modern times. Mm-hmm. Uh, from is it El Segundo that does? Um, Old Jetty, I believe. No. Oh, you're thinking of um, Port. Pizza Port. Or just Port. It's just Port yeah, Brewing. Port Brewing Company. Port Brewing yes. has an absolutely amazing barrel-aged barley wine. Uh, and those are a few highlights that are just standing out as far as what I would hold this against. Mm-hmm. I think that yeah. bar has been set pretty high from those type things. I think this is up there with any of them. It's too sweet for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do love it, but it is is on the sweeter side. I would maybe prefer to drink some of those other beers. Uh, super high quality though, like definitely a world class barley wine. This is like a eight one. Chris, um, being one of my favorite barrel aged barley wines, mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to go nine point five. And the only reason I give it nine point five and not a full ten mm-hmm. is only because of what we experienced when we opened that can. You know, honestly, that's, that's fair. A, I wonder why that is. The the can yeah. variation bothers me when it sure. comes to brewer- breweries. So, but taste wise, nine point five. Um, comparing it to one of my other favorite barrel-aged barley wines, which would be a mother of all storms, which lately hasn't been. Who makes that? Uh, that's Pelican. Okay. 
out in Tillamook and Oregon or mm-hmm. Pacific City, I think. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Ocean City. Ocean City? I think so. Um, but yeah, they 2018 was my favorite year from them. And it was just an amazing butterscotch bomb. And I remember sitting out on the beach. And you know, of course, most nostalgia, beers are tied with yeah, yeah, nostalgia that's what we're talking and memories. About and so I was sitting on the beach drinking the thing, and that was my favorite barley wine. And this when I sip it, it reminds me of that. So I think that's why I go with the 9.5. I appreciate the distinction um, between that and a 10. I was going to ask you that. Great reasoning. For me, it's a 9. I'll throw out a 9. I got some points to make up for it on the first beer. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I, yeah, I dig it, man. It's super good. Um, happily going to drink the rest of mine. Would love to try it again. Probably won't have the chance, but um, I've, I've been in Chicago a time or two. Not on that date, I'm sure, but it's great. Thanks for bringing it. Oh, yeah. Back to the movie? Yes. Back to the movie. All right, let's, let's talk dollars, dude. Um yeah. $75 million to make this movie. That's so much. That's so much in today's money. It's Yeah, and we're talking, and I don't know the conversion. Maybe I can look it up, but they, we're talking $75 million in probably 1999 money. That's like a $130 million budget. Do you think it's double? More, or that's not double, but... Um, yeah, I think it would be. 75 80%? Mm-hmm. What I wondered, what are the budgets of those movies that year? Oh, I will. I would love to find that out. Give me a couple minutes. You guys talk yeah, about Like you said, like Gone in 60 Seconds, some of those other ones, like The Patriot... R.I.P. Heath Ledger, and then you're talking. Oh, that's right. What he was he a kid? Yeah. He was. He was Mel like Gibson's they... son. He was wow. the son that first ran away, right? Yep. That's right. Yep. Did not know yeah. that. Deep or, cut. I, mean, I guess I did, but I forgot. Deep cut. Um. Okay. Hang on. I'm gonna pull up a couple of movies from that. Time. Yeah, and also, I... like, I would love to know the, you know, how much money would that be in today's money? Sure. I don't sure. know if there's a quick way to there Google is. that. Um. Yeah, Chris, you're looking up something. Yes. Tell me what it is, if you would. Or Johnny can fill this time. Either way. I'm going to keep Googling this thing. Yeah. Well, you get... I think we're Googling the same thing. Googleizing. <laughs> we're all Googling things. I love it. Hmm. Well, I hear... Okay, I'll tell you what. We'll do it like this then. Well, so, I mean, you're saying it was 76 million? Seven, 75. Yeah. 75 million. So... I'm guessing that a lot of that money was spent on the voice actor, obviously the voice actors and the the soundtrack, and yeah. as well as the CGI, because I would think that had to be expensive. Day, yeah, like it wasn't brand new. You had what the Lawnmower Man before that that right? really did CGI, and this arguably looks a little bit better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and any technology when it's at its it's for you know beginnings is going to be more expensive because it's not dialed in and yeah. everyone's not doing it yet. So. Really, Johnny? What did you guess? You threw out a number. You said uh, I would say that'd today's. be like 130 million. <laughs> okay, you don't know anything, you idiot. It's actually <laughs> 132 million. <laughs> <laughs> but really good idiot. guess, man. Nice job. Idiot. Uh, yeah, 132 million, uh, 126 thousand, roughly, um, which is about a 76 percent inflation rate in the past 23 years, which I think is about right. Mm-hmm. Um, for yeah. reference, Gladiator. That's uh, not alarming. Also, a pretty expensive <laughs> movie cost 103 million back then. Yes. Wow. Gone in 60 seconds. All like crashing cars. These are like huge summer blockbusters. Maybe, mm-hmm. um, was, I just saw it, um, between 90 and 103 million. So Plus like the cast in that, that's actually less than I thought that would be. Let me they look messed up, up a, a lot of cars. Yeah. Let me look up a, a less, a less huge movie, something more along the lines of what we're talking about that came out around at the same time. I'll look hmm. up something but real quick. It does kind of make sense though, that you would have all those blockbusters at like a hundred plus. And so that's why he was able to pull off 75 cause it's not a live action, but it does have a lot of those blockbuster people in it. Mm-hmm. It does. Let's talk another movie that we didn't talk about earlier that came out. Uh, let's see. Um, it would have been, uh, the week after, um, chicken run. 
<laughs> oh my god! Interesting because animated, yes. CGI, no. Wasn't Mel Gibson in that too? No. <laughs> was he? I'm was pretty he, sure. Who was even in Chicken Run? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> no. Yep. He was. He was the main character of Rocky. <laughs> yep. Good summer for Mel Gibson. Right? Oh, yeah. Wow. Jesus. I'm just in, yeah, in Atlanta doing voiceover work while he's filming The Patriot. Uh-huh. Um, so, ostensibly, claymation cheaper than CGI. Any guesses on what Chicken Run costs to make? 60? Chris? I, I, would, I would say 85, 90. I, you should have gone the jet, but you should have said you should have said fifty nine and a half because of the rules that I still don't fully understand with betting. No, twenty two point eight million. Oh wow, oh, way like cheaper next to nothing. Um, and I'm sure I could probably find out what it made, but I bet you it's more than that. I would think that's so. clearly a kids movie, uh, at least advertised that way, and the kids would go see it. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of feel like maybe that was the problem with Titan AE is they kept it where they wanted it to have. You know, kids to watch it because it's yep. animation. Because everybody's mind goes to animation and has to be kids, but they kept it with adults because you had those darker themes. Yeah, and honestly, I felt like that might have been one of the one the one of the real reasons why they didn't make as much money as they did. Was this sure. movie PG thirteen? No, it was PG. It was PG. Wow, which is crazy when you think of the erection joke that he makes. And the fact there's several. That's right. I he, almost he, forgot. We about got that. full yeah. dude butt. Yep, we did. And cartoons. And, and what's her name was naked in the shower. We got outline. Yes, we did. Um, okay. So the problem with these comparisons, like Gladiator is huge. Like I mean, like the the scope of it's huge. Yeah. Gone in sixty seconds is huge. Mission Impossible. How much is was huge. Gladiator? Uh, one hundred and six. Between ninety and one hundred and three. I think you said one hundred and six. Did I? Then I'm switching that with Gone in sixty seconds. And it's still that still makes it wild to me that they gave seventy five million to make this movie. Yeah. Well, right. So so Shaft, the OG Shaft with Samuel Jackson came out this year too. Well, that's the remake of the sixties one. But that's yeah. a good point. I guess the because there was one that came out in like twenty nineteen also. Yeah. Um, that movie, not huge. They're not crashing cars all the time. Um, that one was made for forty six million, hmm. which I think is more kind of like the the median for that time mm-hmm. period for like your standard movies. Not these huge like time uh, time pieces. Yeah. A lot of that cost must have been absorbed in animation and computer generated. It's gotta be. It's gotta be. It's gotta be. be. That's the only way to explain it. Because like Samuel Jackson's in that. He's crushing it at this point. Mel yeah. Gibson in Chicken Run. He's not pulling you know twenty million for that contract. I'm gonna look at Mission Impossible also just out of curiosity. Yeah. Um, Mission Impossible Two. You said came out. Mission Impossible yeah. Two. Yeah. Uh, and Mission Impossible like eight's coming out this year or something like that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think it does come down to the animation, which is a pretty good segue into talking about the animation of this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to close this loop, Mission Impossible 2, 125 million. Okay. Very expensive. So this one was on the med- median to upper echelon of budgets for the year 2000. Yes, but even crazier when you consider the type of movie that it is. Right. It doesn't justify being made necessarily. No. Wow. And here's actually an interesting thing I'm reading here on Reddit. Apparently, because of that movie, they lost a hundred million. Mission Impossible? No, the uh, oh. company that released um, Titan AE. Oh my God! They lost a hundred million. Yeah, so they gave them seventy-five million. Yep. They made thirty-six yep. million at the box office, sure. and they and eventually lost. And like, yep, all the promo million. costs. Wow! So much money goes into movies. Yeah, it's like just incredible amounts of money. I've heard that the rule of thumb is uh, budget is um, you have the the what it takes to make the movie, and you double that for marketing. Or is, you think damn, that's, I'm that's, pretty sure it's double or close to it. That's wild. Right? But wow. think about the marketing for these blockbusters. Like, dude, there's a Spider-Man Whopper 
Oh, I know. Oh, yeah. Have you seen yeah, that shit? It's right. gross. Have it you visually so, seen it? Yeah, it? yeah, it looks wild. It's neon red, <laughs> right? But every Whop- Whopper or every Burger King in the country yeah. has gotten this Whopper. You know how much budget that takes? Like yeah. it's And think about in that era, you were talking Happy Meal toys. You were talking mm. not just television, advertising, billboards. You're talking all the money that goes into manufacturing merchandise, like toys, mm. all of that. Yeah, but you're not talking... Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, like yeah, you're, like yeah. digital marketplaces that like no, that's cheap compared like to back then to, to what we're talking about because we're talking about physical. It's certainly easier manufacturing of things. I don't know if it's cheaper. I think digital advertisement is probably cheaper because you can just make a Facebook profile for a movie now. Yeah, one person can, but you're not giving. And this is this is gonna sound funny, so I guess it's a joke, but it's also true. You don't have to give the kids in the sweatshops computers to make those accounts you can send your stupid happy meal toys not pay those people and have that shit made you're not wrong i think there's an argument for being cheaper then well there is definitely a a redirection of the allocation of funds for marketing and obviously generationally and as 23 years have passed your marketing dollars aren't going towards the same thing right but marketing from what i've read is at least I wanted to say it was the equivalent of the the budget to make a movie. You find me that source, I will link it, but I like this idea, and it doesn't seem that far off. Right? Yeah. Best special effect in the movie for me was the dredge. Not just the ship. I actually think they lose a little bit of points from me in, like, the the ship stuff where you see, like, like wide shots of their little drone ships flying. But specifically when the dredge soldiers are running around, like, their little movements and the way that their physical bodies interact with their surroundings, I think looked really, really unique. Yes. Love that. What about mm-hmm. you guys? Animation wise and special effects wise, uh, I think it's all of the the character design. I mm-hmm. really loved the way that all the the main characters and even the 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 tertiary characters were drawn just the style of it. It mm-hmm. had such a unique and identifiable style mm-hmm. um where the first 10 minutes of the movie, you can identify it as a hand-drawn animated movie before it starts incorporating the CGI, and I loved that. It harkened back to, like, the Robin Hood era of, like, Disney movies. Like Fox, yeah. Fox Robin Hood? Yeah, yeah, which is the best Robin Hood. <laughs> yeah, throw Costner under the bus yeah, like that. Yeah, him and Prince yeah. of Thieves, right there. Yeah, okay. All right, fair so That's the one-two cutie pie combo. Sure. You got so, Morgan Freeman, dude. Yeah, 100%. I don't know. I think it's Prince of Thieves, but... Yeah. Prince of Thieves is up there, but... Again, nostalgia, the Robin Hood animated, yeah. with the song. So I've never seen it. Ooh. I'm sorry. Again, I know we're getting tight on time here, but I, yeah. I don't. So I haven't. We can deal with it another Anyways, time. I'm sorry. So this elicited <laughs> that kind of nostalgia for that hand-drawn animation, mm-hmm. and then it incorporated all the cool new CGI. Yeah. So the, I think just the overall style of it right. is probably my favorite. Your answer is everything. Well, the No, the unique style of the hand-drawn animation, because that's something that's gone by the wayside. You don't, you, yeah. we don't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. So just to have that and have it be in the movie that kind of passes the torch to CGI was really cool to have that yeah. nostalgia and that familiarity with the animation style while having all this new stuff incorporated. Mm-hmm. And then it completely went towards the new stuff. You didn't realize at the time, but this was like one of the last movies like that yeah. you're going to see. Very mixed media, mm-hmm. which was cool. Yeah, yeah. totally. And Gomez? so for me, I mean, Honestly, the scene that I loved the most, and because it incorporates what Johnny was talking about, was when the dredge are actually 
copying the map off of him. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was weird because you have this drawn animated character in the middle being spun around by all this computer graphics and all these lightning bolts hitting him. And finally it hits his hand, shoots out on the wall, and it gives him the map of where they need to go, where they think they need to go. Yep. I love that scene. It was dark. It was weird. It was scary. He was screaming. It was like... That's what kind of took me out of the fact of that that little moment that that was just an animated film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, "Well, this takes yeah. me out." So that would that would be my favorite. Fair. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this article I read earlier that I wanted to give a shout out to. It's called "The Surprising Importance of Titan A Twenty Years Later." <clears throat> um, so I was looking that up just to say that. Um, but yeah, that scene's awesome, dude. Like, yeah. it's these little technological moments that make like what on paper. Not the most creative sci-fi movie ever. No, no. But it makes some of that work. It elevates it, mm-hmm. especially, yeah, in 2000. Like, set the stage for a lot of cool stuff. Well, I think the the double twist kind of made set them apart from most science fiction movies because they took that and went a little bit further. Sure. And that's what I liked about it. There was a twist. Was it amazing and completely yeah. took you off course? No. Yeah, sure. But it added to it and yeah. made it different. Johnny, what you got? Uh, what about the article? We just oh, wanted, I just read it earlier. You um, just wanted a, to brag that you read an article? No, no, no or, it's a, <laughs> or did you want to tell us something from the article? No. Um, <laughs> I, I'm very if, confused why if, you said that. If you actually want to know, my full thought is that I was looked up at the article because I was going to talk about it, and then I saw the clock, and I don't think we have time. So I just wanted to say to you guys and anybody else interested in the movie, if you want to dig a little deeper about this movie and like its cultural impact, especially in terms of animation, it's a good article to read. Um, and it's on uh, – it's on – Flipscreened.com. There we go. So, yeah. so it sounded maybe, like you were just stoked you read an article. Like, I read this article. It's a good article. So um, maybe we should end this on talking about the end of the film. Like I love what that. really sure. happened. Sure. So as we know, they're trying to find the ship. Mm-hmm. They find it. They find well, the, they get to the the Gowl's place, mm-hmm. and then now they have the exact location. And they're the only ones who know. Obviously, Corso doesn't know yet, but that's right. why Corso is following him. Yep. I think the coolest part about the ending was that um, Kale figures out that, oh, yeah, they're all energy. Yes. And we need energy to restart the core of the Titan, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And he figures out a way to do that. But the way that it's actually done is what makes me really happy and kind of sad, too, because we lose Corso once he realized his, the mistakes of his ways. But he told Kale to get out of there. Mm-hmm. And the only way to connect that breaker yeah. is to use his gun and him yeah. hold it and kill himself yeah. for it to accept the energy. Like, that was crazy. Yes. Pretty meta concepts and dark themes for something marketed as a children's movie. Exactly. I can see why this was accepted more by an adult science fiction fan. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, super powerful, very meta commentary and, like, mm-hmm. heavy content. Yeah. I see not want to take the kids to see this, though. Yeah. yeah. The father figure sacrifice in movies, I think, again, like, not an original idea for this, but, like, no. it's very effective. Like, you have it yeah. in – well, like, we just had it in – um was it Guardians 2 where Yondu sacrifices himself to save Peter Quill or like yep. um like a less sci-fi version um oh the the Poseidon adventure not the not the OG one or no that is the OG one the Poseidon the remake in like 2008 maybe I'm Kurt drawing, Russell drawing a blank it's fine it's not great Kurt Russell sacrifices himself by like drowning to save Emmy Rossum and her boyfriend who mm. who it's like his way of showing like I approve of your relationship. But I'm gonna go drown because the only way to get out is to press the button to oh, what doesn't matter. Okay. But it's a very effective storytelling mechanism it where is. you can be like, all right, like that character has changed and and they're making a noble sacrifice for the greater cause. And and there's that. there's meaning behind the story, mm-hmm. which is most science fiction always has a meaning. I know now people would probably call this movie woke. 
Um, but really? the, and because of what they're telling you, they're telling you no matter what you do, always, always, always go forward. Sure. Keep caring about your fellow man. Keep sure. caring about your fellow human because we all deserve a place. All in the lives world. matter. Yeah, there you go. In a way. <laughs> Whoa. 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 And this world. Whoa. Oh, should we just. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway. No, I know I got what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, you're right. But it just, you know, it gives that care about all humans, not yeah. just your own. Because, I mean, I think that's the the trope, if anything, for the 90s alien sci-fi is that the only way we're going to agree and ever come to some sort of understanding of each other is when we're all fighting some other mm. weird species mm. that is trying to annihilate yeah. humans. Under threat of mortal peril. Right. Exactly. Be friends. I guess yeah. we can figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I love the the you know the storyline i love the the message behind it but i'd have to say if i was sold on anything about that movie it was 100% the animation yep don bluth is just to me is i mean once i saw secret of nim mm-hmm. i was like yeah don bluth is the man like anybody who can draw and make you feel that many mixtures of emotions mm-hmm. just with what they can draw like i'm sorry that's a fair talented person yeah johnny any final thoughts on titan ae i think it's criminally underrated as a science fiction film and an animated film i think it still holds up i think it's a good watch is it underrated yeah had you heard of it before he brought it up no but that's not to say that it's underrated it's that it's unknown i've not heard a lot of people be like it sucks i've heard people say i haven't seen it i don't think it's underrated i think once people see it, it's Eh, like pretty good i have to be known to be rated so i I think in a way they kind of go hand in hand for me like it's 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 an under the radar it kind of got forgotten about yes and underrated in the fact that not enough people have seen it. Maybe underrated is not exactly the right word. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's it's a movie that it still holds up. It was still good. It was still a fun watch. Uh, it was a bit of a nostalgia time capsule, uh, <laughs> sonically, orally, mm-hmm. spiritually. But uh, I, I was very happy to watch it again. Yeah. Well, I was stoked to see it for a first time. Thanks for the recommendation. I know we yeah. changed. This was kind of, I, you know, this has been a long time coming, but. So on that timeline, a last minute change. What were we gonna do? Last oh, we were gonna minute. do it. It was like two months ago. I know, yeah. but we've been doing trying to get this episode going for like a year. <laughs> there was another one I wanted to do, but completely different. Yeah. Okay. Uh, brain candy. Oh, that's right. New kids in the uh, and then wait, wait, wait. Kids in the hall. Oh, gotcha. We almost timed this right to do Dune Part Two, almost. but not quite. So that'll have to be the next. I assume that'll be the next one. Obviously, right. it's your call. Um, but okay, well, what a treat. What a fun little friggin' yeah. uh, Monday afternoon to spend with you fellas. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you guys. Thanks uh, for having me. That final, was a lot of fun. So fun. Any final thoughts? Yeah. Uh, if you want to... What? Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, if you want to watch something really cool and animated, check out uh, Gendy Tark- Tartakovsky's Primal on HBO. It's, I have. It's like <laughs> it's the best animated thing I've watched in the last 10 years. Sweet. Oh, also Titan A, if you don't own it, don't know where to get it, it's available for rent on VOD for like Four bucks. I, yep. think. Yeah. I got it on uh, Prime. It's also on. Oh, I rented it on Voodoo. Nice, dude. Ah, oh, shit. Yeah, I think it's only physically available on DVD. It never made it to Blu-ray. Sure. No 4K that yet. So. Dope. All right. Well, but yeah, go see it. Perfect. Watch it if you haven't, and let us know. Yeah. We have a oh, we have a phone number that you can text us, which is good. It's five three zero four three three. Also, it ends with. I didn't get it in time. I'm going to say it all together. Hang on. I'm just going to find it. <laughs> it's 530-433-0839. You can text us your thoughts. We'd love to hear them. Um, late, late night thoughts? Late night thoughts. Absolutely. Oh, I'm looking at you, Nick. Early morning, oh, bath time, whatever. Sure. <laughs> um, it can be about Titan A. It can be about other other episodes we've done. Beers. Um, if you had a beer explode in your face, but then it was turns out to be pretty good, we want to know. Yeah. If, uh, if you've made beers that have exploded, even a one-off, looking at you guys, uh, whoever made this revolution. 
Um, let us know what the hell's up with that beer. We or just know. send us memes and pictures of your cats. That's fine, too. That's fine, too. <laughs> uh, my name is Max Minardi. Johnny Summers. Chris Gomez. This has been Fresh Hop Cinema. We'll see you guys next week. This is Fresh Hop Cinema.